Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Which brings us to tonight's event. Ackerman's The Perpetual Motion Machine has been called beautifully written and deeply moving, an exquisite chronicle of family and trauma and hope and longing. When her brother was in high school, he tried to build a perpetual motion machine to save the world. Ackerman's debut memoir is her own experiment and attempt to understand their relationship and herself. Brittany Ackerman is a writer from Riverdale, New York. She earned her BA in English from Indiana University and graduated from Florida Atlantic University's MFA program in creative writing. She teaches critical studies at AMDA College and Conservatory uh, of the Performing Arts in Hollywood. She was the 2017 nonfiction award winner for Red Hen Press, as well as the AWP Intro Journals Project Award nominee in 2015. She currently lives in Los Angeles, California. Davy Rothbard is a best-selling author, Emmy Award-winning filmmaker, the creator of Found Magazine, a contributor to Public Radio's This American Life, and the author of a book of personal essays, My Heart is an Idiot and a collection of stories, The Lone Surfer of Montana, Kansas. He writes regularly for GQ and Los Angeles Magazine, and his work has appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, and The Believer. Rothbard is also the founder of Washington to Washington, an annual hiking adventure for inner city kids. He lives in Los Angeles. We're thrilled to have both of them with us this evening. Please join me in giving them a warm welcome. Hey guys, welcome, my man. Uh, good to see, good to see everybody. Um, thanks so much for for joining us in what is uh, it's going to be a very awesome night for me because uh, we're celebrating a new book by Brittany Ackerman, one of my new favorite writers. And um, and let me back it up. We're, she's going to read some of her book for us, and I have some questions I'm going to deluge her with, and maybe you guys do as well. Um, after, after she shares some of her uh, writing with you guys. But let me just tell you the story of, of how I got to know Brittany. Um, my, my book, my last book came out a few years ago called My Heart is an Idiot. And um, it's sort of personal adventures, my own misadventures really in, in love and relationships. And I got a lot of really wonderful emails in the months and really years following uh, My Heart is an Idiot coming out. And sometimes it was from young writers who were, you know, kind of eager to share their own writing and, and kind of saying that the book had resonated with them. And and I'm just, I always like reading writers that I've never read before. And 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 so I'm always eager to check that stuff out. Occasionally, very, very occasionally, like a lightning strike. Um, it, you know, and, and I always enjoyed reading this writing, but, but, but occasionally, like a, a couple of times, I've read somebody's writing. And these are strangers who have just emailed me, but but I read Brittany's work and I was just blown away. Like the quality of her writing, the quality of her storytelling, it was incredible. And so I said, you know, let me let me know anything I can do to to help. And she didn't she didn't really need help. Uh, <laughs> she she was focused and 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 she knew the stories that she wanted to share. But um, but it's been really neat to get to know her. And now that she's living out in Los Angeles, um, I also take credit with um, introducing her to her fiance. <laughs> So um, I like to be, uh, take pride in my Yenta yeah. matchmaking <laughs> abilities. So, um, 
But uh, but anyway, so so let me let me just start out before the the, the main event and 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 Brittany sharing some of her pieces. You know, I, I actually have a long relationship with this bookstore, Skylight Books. I, I make this magazine, Found Magazine, and uh, Skylight is the first store in Los Angeles to carry Found Magazine. Back in 2002, Kevin Awakuni called me up, uh, a longtime employee of Skylight, and and uh, asked if they could carry the magazine here, and and that's formed a, a wonderful relationship. This is my favorite bookstore in Los Angeles. It's one of my top three favorite bookstores in the world. So you guys are lucky to have this in your community. It's it's an amazing, amazing anchor for for Los Angeles and the literary scene here. And uh, and so. What Found Magazine is, it's just notes and letters that people find on the ground, find on the street. Love letters and to-do lists and journal entries. And I wanted to share just a few with you. One thing that, that, that I liked about getting to know Brittany was all of her stories about Florida, which is probably one of the states I know the least about. <laughs> and, and I felt like I really got a new lens into Florida from talking to her. But, but I also did from some of these found notes that came from Florida. And, 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 and so I want to share a few with you guys. And, and these were some of my favorite to-do lists. Actually, the first one's from Vegas. The rest are from Florida. But um, this one is just a one-item to-do list. It says, must win money. <laughs> Found on, on an elevator at a casino in Las Vegas. Um, this one came from, uh, from Gainesville, a town outside of Gainesville, Florida. It says, to-do, turn in library books, find out about college, mail dad shit, pay bills in advance, write crystal, hide guns. <laughs> So that's, that's how you guys do down there. Yeah, pretty accurate. <laughs> this one was from Tallahassee. It says, uh, goals for today, uh, go to church, find God, then find myself through God, get baptized. Number two, meet new people, party a lot, start drinking. <laughs> this was from Tampa, and this was the first ever to not do list mm. that was ever found and sent into us. This is the to not do list. Someone found this on the ground and sent it in. It says, do not spend money on anything except clothing for Halloween, grocery items, Sarah's birthday dinner, sushi, metal show, or the movie Kill Bill. Save all <laughs> other money. Do not fall in love with any strangers. Do not procrastinate the trip to Japan. Do not eat junk, any form of potato or corn chips. No Fritos, no Lay's, no Ruffles, no Cape Cod, nothing. Do not start another tab at work. Do not fret over Wendy or in any case being alone. Do not borrow money from mom. Do not eat at Oasis or any shit food place. Do not watch pornographic movies. Do not masturbate. Do not masturbate. Vince <laughs> <laughs> Info has handwriting. I'm just messing, just messing with you, man. Um, and then this one from uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Things to do. It's kind of in a kid's handwriting. Things to do. Get it, and the first three are crossed out. Get a new skateboard deck. Crossed out. Think of band names, crossed out. Get lawn mowing service going, crossed out. The last two still yet to be done. <laughs> Hook up with Jen, make it to the sixth grade. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks, to, thanks to Skylight for, for being uh, supporters of Found Magazine since, since the early, early days. But, you know, we're here to, to celebrate, really, your new book, Britt. And, um, and I, I, I love the book. Um, just... I love the stories as a whole, and we'll, we'll get in there and talk about some of yeah. these stories. But, but just on a sentence by sentence level, there's a lot of beautiful sentences in the book, and that's that's for like a word nerd like me, like that's really awesome and, and respectable. So, um, do you have some pieces you want to share? Or? Yeah. Um, so I'm actually going to read from the title story, uh, the Perpetual Motion Machine, and I'm going to kind of cut around because it's a little longer, but I'm going to explain a little bit um, cool. so that we know where we are. 
and sorry, Carl, this is about an ex, but you're the only one for me now. So, <laughs> um, so uh, in this story, and it's actually a Florida story, so um, it's about a trip that I took to the Keys with an ex-boyfriend that kind of went awry. <laughs> um, and uh, the story, this, uh, the title essay is also interspersed with some moments about New York City, because I grew up there, and I spent a lot of time there, and I vacationed there. Um, I go there like once a year still, but uh, I'm going to start from where we've already decided to go to the Keys. So I'm just going to read a little bit, and then we'll talk afterwards. Yeah. On the first night in the Keys, after walking down Duval and taking, the, taking in the pink sunset, we sit in the hotel room and watch reruns of old Disney Channel shows. He buys us some tall boys to drink by the pool, and we decide to take ecstasy, like old times. I brought it because I knew he'd do it with me. I knew we would get to the point where we'd run out of sad stories and need to make some new ones. It goes like this. He's happy when I wear the lime green sweatshirt. I keep it on even though I'm too hot. He can't seem to get his temperature right. He only wants the Gatorade poured into cups before drinking it. I'm by the mini fridge in the hotel room, rationing out our supply, measuring the neon red liquid, trying to make it as even as possible. He takes a shower, insisting it will help. I just want him to jump in the pool and get his body cool again. He says this is the only way, though, that the drugs have taken effect and he knows a, sh a hot shower will help. He steps out in a towel and says he feels better, but I know he doesn't. We lay on the bed and I put on music. He suggests some band I've never heard of, so I put it on and it's perfection. I'm in the exact center of the room and his head is in my lap, so he's in the middle too. And we're in the middle of something here, something greater than what either of us will ever know, an agreement with the universe that if we can get through tonight alive, we will repay it somehow, but without the pressure or confines of any real contract, as this is sworn by simply closing our eyes and listening to the music vibrating in the room. I know it will all be okay in the end, but he doesn't. One person should always be the knower, though. One person should always be unsure, so that the other one can assure them. Underneath my sweatshirt, the strings of my bathing suit are too tight. But I know if I move, the whole thing will fall apart. This safe haven, this contract we've created between heaven and earth, this ever-circling sound of the guitar and some guy's voice who I don't know, rocking us gently, like babies, telling us we've got a deal. My ex and I decide to go on a guided snorkeling tour. The boat leaves at noon and we cross from South Street to Whitehead Street all the way down to the marina. We pass Hemingway's house and take a photo in front. I now realize the tragedy that is Key West and how one can certainly go down the rabbit hole here deeply. We approach a bar and decide to stop for a few drinks and a game of pool, which I win somehow, and then lose to him in a game of darts. The bar is quiet, but some locals are getting in their early morning drinks. It's not until the boat leaves the dock that I remember I get seasick. We stand away from everyone else and watch the keys fade away into a small strip thin as paper. We are away now. The catamaran is big enough that I don't feel sick at all, and we get our gear on and, jump, uh, and uh, line up to jump off the boat. I spit into my mask and rub in the saliva like my dad taught me the first time I went snorkeling. It won't fog up this way. It will remain clear. We jump into the water. I follow him. We're supposed to stay within certain borderlines of the group, but he traverses those boundaries and goes off on his own. He signals me over, and below is a school of fish fluttering through a reef. 
Here we are, the two of us, doing things together like we always wanted, but something feels different about it, like it's too late, like we had our chance. I swim away and go off on my own for now. The water is warm and the sun shines on my back. I'm wearing a navy blue bikini that my mom picked out. She's not happy I went on this trip, but at least she knows I'm here. And now I'm in the middle of the ocean, floating, feeling different, feeling alone. Back on the boat, we drink margaritas. I drink a lot because I want to feel better. He drinks a lot because he always does. There is a man next to us with his son who is about our age. They work in Boca Raton and come here a lot. The man is around 50 or so, has a firm belly, wears glasses, reminds me of my dad, but he's more outgoing, and he puts his arm around his son when he talks. We cheers our drinks and talk and laugh. He's in publishing or sales or something like that, and my ex is interested in a job down here in Florida instead of up north. Perhaps he's thinking about living his life the way we used to imagine. I'm designated as the refiller of drinks and step away to retrieve more margaritas. I come back with cups by the twos and everyone seems happy and engaged in conversation. I'm happy we met this man and that he is talking to us and having a good time. This is how vacation is supposed to be. These nice people are the kind you are supposed to meet. The boat pulls into the dock and we put our clothes on over our bathing suits. I'm drunk and I've just had a great afternoon. Maybe he will move back home. Maybe he will return to me, to the life we dreamed of. As we, stuff off, as we step off the boat, he grabs my hand. I have to piss so bad, he says. That guy was so full of shit. I got a teaching job in the fall of 2014. As part of earning my master's degree in creative writing, I was able to teach an English composition class and reduce some of my tuition. I had never taught before, and with only a week of orientation and training, I felt completely unprepared. I couldn't sleep the night before my first day of school, so I called my brother. We weren't speaking much at the time, even though I was back in Florida after a stint in Los Angeles, because I was afraid of getting close to him. When he answered the phone, he sounded so good. We talked for hours about his experience as a teacher's assistant in grad school, and he made me feel more comfortable about being in front of a room of kids. I lay stretched out on my bed in my parents' apartment and listened to him tell stories and give advice. It was the closest I felt to him in years. I had been scared because I worried it wouldn't be possible to have a relationship with him, like the one we had when we were little, the way things used to be, but could never return to because of everything that had happened. But it was nice, and it filled a void in my heart that I have had for a long time. I had tried to replace him with the guys I dated, seeking a relationship like this, so close, so loving, but no one could replace him. No one was like him. It made me realize that our love was infinite, that I loved him like a kindergarten crush, intense and doting, thinking it would last forever. On the last night, we stumble upon a restaurant on the beach. We take off our shoes and enter and decide to sit at the bar because that's how you get drinks quickly. No one is taking our order, though. There is a wedding out back of the restaurant, and everyone is wearing white. We can't tell the servers from the partygoers. Everyone is drunk and dancing, and we hear popular songs and joyous hollering. The bartender comes back and takes our orders and still forgets our drinks. I'm waiting on a tequila sunrise. He's waiting on some whiskey, but maybe, maybe even just whiskey on the rocks. Our food comes, and the mahi is the freshest I've ever had. 
The fries are curly and crispy and there's an aioli for dipping pleasure. He barely touches his hamburger because he wants his drink. Guests keep coming outside, coming inside and asking for things. A straw, a cup of limes, a bottle of water, shots, more shots, napkins because they are sweating so much from dancing, and the bartender has orders to tend to the guests first. No one else is inside the place except for us. The food is delicious and I eat and watch people dancing and singing. A wedding, a wonderful wedding for people who love each other and they invite their friends and families to watch and join and they all drive down across the rickety bridges and none of them throw apples into the Atlantic Ocean. A young couple comes inside drunk and sees our situation. Feeling badly, they buy a round of shots that somehow gets made faster than our initial drinks and we take them. I feel good. I feel happiness here. People can be good. But his anger is growing. He wants his next glass. He wants more alcohol. I want to tell him that the wedding is beautiful, that the party is fun, and that everything is going to be okay. I want him to know that I love him, but it's different now. I love him like a parent loves a child, sad and understanding, unconditional, with the condition that he will never know what it's like to look at him here in this bar on this night, blue laser lights flashing, the dance floor, the nice couple, the fresh fish, the world spinning around and around for all of us, and knowing that it means nothing, that it is not good enough, that this is the last time I will ever see him, because after this, it truly is time to move on, to move forward, to keep my own world turning. His world is not meant to last forever. When I was six, I was given a fuzzy purple notebook. I wrote down everything that I saw and heard in that notebook. It became my best friend. I love that it was purple, my favorite color, and fuzzy, and had a latch to lock up all my secrets. I got it on the morning of a friend's birthday party. We were going to see the Nutcracker, and there was nothing mom could do to stop me from bringing it. She told me to leave it in the car, but I took it with me anyway. I was obsessed with jotting down my feelings, my fears, my everything. I don't remember the play at all. I don't remember what color tutus the ballerinas wore. I don't remember the music, the cake at the party, the ice cream, the goodie bags. I only remember opening and closing my book. I only remember writing down which girls I hated and how I felt so out of place at the party. I started keeping a real diary when I was in high school. Our prep school required laptops, and I soon found myself jotting down daily notes of foods I had eaten, fights I was having with friends or family, emotions I didn't want to bottle up anymore, all in one document. Some of these entries became poems, short stories, some deleted and forgotten. I was trying to pinpoint the moment I started to become depressed, the exact time in my life when I started overthinking everything and stopped feeling joy. From my research, it was somewhere between my first heartbreak and the time Skylar told me he wanted to die. The span of a decade. I was 14 when a boy I met at my neighbor's house stopped returning my calls, and I was 24 when Skylar committed himself to getting help. Looking back, it seems like a flash, but the lights we once shined into the sky, they will last forever. Those years were spent trying to save my brother, trying to replace him in relationships, trying to lose myself and others so I could find him. These essays, love letters to win him back. He is my perpetual motion machine. All he ever had to do to earn my love was to spin, spin. Thank you. Nice.
It's really nice to hear you uh, read that out loud, Brittany. <laughs> um, so, you know, the book is really striking, and, and I think sibling relationships are one of the most powerful and intimate relationships we have, and yet, you know, they're, they're not often just covered in, in, so, in such rawness and depth, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I wonder if you can talk about, I mean, I have a few questions about this, but like, did your brother know you were writing this mm. book that's extremely personal and, and really traces your relationship from kids all yeah. the way through the present? Yeah, so... Um, and what did he think of it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so when I was in grad school is when I decided that I wanted to do this as a project. And um, before I graduated, I let him read a draft. And Were you um, freaked out <laughs> by the idea of that? Yeah, or? I... I was nervous, but I knew I had to have him read it at some point yeah. because if I was going to get it published, and at that point I had no idea that it was going to get published, but I knew that if I was going to have him, because at graduation we actually sit and, um, or your family and friends sit, and then you actually read from your project. So I knew he was going to hear it sooner or later. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to give it to him, and he was really open to it. Um, it actually did surprise me how open he was to it. He actually came back. I remember we met. Um, my mom used to work, well, she still does work at the mall. And so we met at the mall and we like sat on a bench and he had all these notes. Like he had a notebook filled with notes and he was like, why didn't you write this story? Or like, why, you know, in this story, you know, maybe leave that out. And like, he had all these suggestions for me and I wanted to be true to my memories, but I also wanted his advice on it because he lived through this too. Um, and there was really like only one or two things that he didn't want in there. But otherwise he was like, I don't care what you say, you know, like I, it's all true. So that's, you know, fine with him. Um, and you know, same with my mom. Like I gave my mom the same draft to read and cause her and him are both heavily in the book, um, him more than her. But, um, so I just wanted them to know, but I I've said this before, like, even if, they both said like, no, like, I don't want you to publish this. I still would have done it anyway, not out of any like malice or any ill intent, but just because I, it's, it's my story at the end of the day. It's not like a tell all, you know, it's not, um, I'm trying to out anybody. Ultimately the portrayal is pretty affectionate. I would say it's it's deeply loving. It's like I said, it's love letters. If you know, that's what it is to me at least. But but, but people can be sensitive about surprising things sometimes as I learned with uh, with my book, yeah, <laughs> um, and and having to contact all the people that, that I had written yeah. about, but um, I mean, if it's too personal, you don't have to share it with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but are, what I'm curious, what were the things that he was concerned about, oh, or, or so asked you not no, to include? No, that's okay, because um, yeah. I've talked about this before. So he just he has an ex girlfriend that's a little out of her mind. I mean, aren't we all? But like, she she had also contacted me when she found out I was writing this and she was like, I don't want to be in it. Like, I don't, even if you change my name, like, cause I actually changed my brother's name in here, mm-hmm. but that was really just for me to like separate him as a character yeah. of himself. Even though, you know, my last name's on here. Like we all know it's my brother. Um, but she, it was just her. That yeah. was really the biggest thing. And, and he had said to like, Hey, don't put her in there, you know? Right. Cause I actually had a story that I'm trying to figure out someday how to fictionalize it. And um, it was called High Score, and it was going to be an essay in here. And it's about their relationship, which, yeah, it's not my story. But there was a, a long period of time where when he was living in an apartment that was right down the street from my parents and she, and he lived with her, um, they're not together anymore. But it was just a really crazy time. Like there was a lot of like 
beer and Legos and like, and they had a pet hedgehog. Like it was just a crazy time. And like, I've, so I wrote this essay about it and it's really wonderful, but they were like, yeah, you know, not just not so much on the hedgehog. Yeah. Kinda, that's, that's too private. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't mention the hedgehog. His name was Roxy, which is funny, but, um, so yeah, I had to take that out, but I'm still trying to figure out how to incorporate that someday into yeah. something else. Cause it's so fantastic, but mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a passage I love where you're you talk about when your family is gone out of the house how you mm. as like a detective you start <laughs> um, and this is something I would constantly do my brothers and I we we thought that my dad was like in the FBI or we just came up <laughs> with all these crazy stories because yeah. he had this study that we weren't allowed to mm-hmm. go into yeah. and we'd start so as soon as he's gone from the house we're rooting around through that yeah. and finding weird you know all kinds of weird stuff that we're like all right he's traveling around the world there's these weird little like airplane <laughs> whatever it is boarding passes yeah. and stuff but but we're, i don't know we were trying to come up with theories about what is this hidden life that he has and even if it's something ultimately something a little more mundane you do get to recognize people's yeah. like private lives as yeah. you look through their possessions mm-hmm. can you kind of explain that passage and like talk about what you would find yeah so i remember when, uh, if they were all out of the house, like I would go into my parents' room cause I was always really close with my mom, but there were certain things that were off limits, like her jewelry box, which whenever she left, I would just raid it and like put on all the jewelry and just <laughs> walk around with it. And then my dad, like I have a really strong relationship with my dad now, but when we were little, he worked a lot and he commuted and I didn't really get to see him a lot. So I didn't really know that much about him. And he's like this businessman, but yet he has all these like grateful dead CDs and like rolling papers and stuff. And I didn't even know what that was, but I was like, what are these weird papers? Like, you know, and just being young. And I think it was because I wanted to know more about them, you know, Mm -hmm. like you said, and, um, and my brother too, he had all these Legos and this like Chrome edition Buzz Lightyear. And he found out that I touched it once cause he like saw my fingerprints on it. He was that crazy it's, about it. And he, he it's like, like a misery when one of the statues <laughs> is turned slightly <laughs> yeah. different to the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And he ended up like, uh, this is going to sound weird, but whatever. But he like tied me to the pool table with my jump rope and was like, but like lightly, like he was like, you're my prisoner now. Like you don't get to leave. I mean, I was like four years old. Like, so it was just, he was very protective about his stuff. And so was my dad. And, um, they share that in common, but I was like, I wanted to know more about them because I felt, I felt like separated. Like I've always felt like the black sheep in my family. Yeah. And so I felt like I couldn't really access them, but I, like you said, it was like their things. I felt like maybe I could get to know them through that. The more, the more you tell any four year old not to do something, yes, yeah. the more they're, uh, the more curiosity I'm sure you had yeah. about your family. Um, <laughs> well, you mentioned the rolling papers, but there, there's a thread in the book and we've talked about it in general about some of these Florida towns where you've spent yeah. time and, and the, and the role of drugs and alcohol in some of these yeah. communities. And of course in your own family, I mean, can you, t- what, what was it like to write about those things? Um, I, I like writing about Florida just because I'm, I am kind of oddly fascinated with it because just like the letters that you, that you read, it really is that strange. Um, where we lived and where my parents still live now in Delray Beach is the recovery capital of the United States. It has like halfway houses all over the place. And um, like anytime you go out to a restaurant, like your waiter is going to be somebody in recovery. It's just so inundated there. Um, so I'm really, that, that's actually what I'm, I'm working on now is a collection of short stories about Delray Beach and trying to just figure out what it is that just is so crazy about that place. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it really is that, 
People yeah, come from all over the country yeah, to Delray yeah. Beach to, to pursue recovery. And it's kind of like, it's paradise. With, with mixed success. You know? Yes, yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's paradise, but yet there's so many problems, you know? Um, it's like thinking about people that might go to Malibu for recovery. It's like beautiful, you know, these beautiful beaches, but then it's like, you're trying to get off heroin. Your problems so, don't necessarily abandon you just yes, because you're in a beautiful yeah. place. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it almost like makes it worse because you're like supposed to be like having a good time and like getting well, but there's just, you know, there's so much happening. And, and I think there's, is from the stories you tell and, and, you know, there's, there's benefits to being with other people mm-hmm. who are also going through recovery, yeah. but there's also something uh, that can happen when you have thousands of people dealing yeah. with the same stuff yeah. all in close proximity. Yeah. It's like. It's like its own little world, mm-hmm. and it's very easy to get stuck in it. Mm-hmm. And like I say in the book, like I dated a lot of guys that were either like a week sober, or maybe they were like leading a recovery group or something. And it's like I always felt like I had an in there because oh, they'll understand, you know, my brother, and they'll understand what I'm going through. But it, that it's you can't replace that that mm-hmm. relationship that I was looking for. So I always ended up, you know, getting hurt. Understood. Yeah. Um, well, I have more questions, but mm-hmm. let me open it up to the audience. Uh, does anyone? Here have questions so far about uh, about the book, about Brittany's path to writing. Nothing's off uh, limits, obviously. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Some people here will probably be picking up the book for the first time, so I don't mm-hmm. know how many of them have, yeah. have read it already. Um, okay. Yes. Foed, give me your second one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I I'm I'm not sure, uh, but but I, but I I think I think we were wrong. Mm. I think he's not. So I haven't read any of your life before, and I was struck by when you were reading some of the sentences from the book, and I'm not quite sure if mm. they're correct, almost misty. Yeah. I'm wondering whether that's just style in general, or whether that was something that you picked out for your story. It's sort of nicely alluded to this idea of having a diary when you're young, and like writing by making these like one sentence kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I definitely take influence on that from like Dennis Johnson. Um, I I was told in grad school to read Jesus' Son and that like really influenced me a lot. But but I do, I feel like it is kind of a way of um, like telling a story but not having a lot of emotion about it. Kind of like nonchalant, like just like matter of fact. So I really try to aim for that. But I also feel like sometimes I have these long like Hemingway sentences that just kind of go on and on and on. And that I feel like I do that because I'm trying to show exhaust or um, like how the mind can kind of wander. And especially with me, I, I have a lot of anxiety. I'm sure a lot of people deal with that. But my mind can kind of go from one thing to the next and just like this this uh, cycle of worry. <laughs> so I try to do that. So I kind of try to have a balance between that. But um, yeah, with those shorter sentences, I'm definitely taking, it's kind of like a nod to, to authors that do that and I, and being kind of matter of fact about it. I, that's, I, I, that's a great question. Cause I, mm-hmm. I admire the style and because at first it seems sort of flat and affectless, but yeah. then you kind of realize like you, it's interesting. It, that has its own emotional resonance as yeah. you go deeper and and somebody, when somebody's understating, you know, some serious challenges or difficulties or things that they're confronting, and then and you have that yeah. kind of affectlessness, you, you feel the emotion bubbling underneath. Um, what's your third question? Okay. And the third question <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Can, can I take a shot at that first? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, my own feeling. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, let, let 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 you you answer, and then I'll I'll if I'll chime in. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so yeah, I don't know about I can't I don't know I can't really speak for other writers or other writer situations, but for me, I just have always been taught to like to write what I know, and I mean, my family like I just I know it. You know, that's it's what I've been through. Um. And so, I don't know, in the book, and if you do end up, I hope you, that you end up reading it, but um, I wanted to, f- to write a story that I felt like I hadn't seen before and, like, use my point of view on it because it wasn't, like, a poor me or, like, a look what happened and, look, you know, look how okay I am and no one else is because I don't think that's the message. Um, I wanted to just present a story as it is because my biggest thing as a writer and as a person is that I want to connect with people. Like, I want someone you know, I've heard people say like, oh, you know, there's a story where my mom threatens to like drive us into the Hudson River and like, it's kind of a crazy moment. And I remember someone told me like, oh, my dad used to like pull up to the railroad tracks. And like, you know, I remember feeling that or, um, or like, oh, my sister did something like that to me. And like, so I want people to pull moments from their life based on my experiences and connect to it. So that's why I kind of tell it flat, like you said a little bit. Um, But as far as like, what is someone's own story? I don't know. I think if you're writing about something that you don't really know and you're trying to maybe tell someone else's story and it's not true, it's just not going to come out right. So I think it really has to be from what you know. And that's why I chose to, to fictionalize his name and, you know, and change his name and make him a character because it's my spin on it. But, um, but the emotions are what were true to me. You know? Even if he remembers things differently or if he, you know, he's older than me so he experiences things a little differently than I did. I was younger and more scared and, you know, more vulnerable, I suppose. Um, but then that, that's, that's my point of view on it. So that's, that's my answer. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I think you nailed it. And it's just, I think when something is a shared experience, you know, like you, when you write about it, you're writing your version of it. Mm-hmm. And your brother might write a book that is quite different yeah. to, talking about the same exact stories, but that would be his version. That would be his yeah. take on it. That would be his experience of it. So yeah. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think it gets interesting when, you know, when people write about things that are, um, you know, that they've maybe t- touched on in their lives, but haven't, you know, aren't rooted in their own experience. And and then there's a question, are, you know, should they be yeah. licensed to write about it as like a fiction writer, say, for example? Yeah. Or, or, um, or is that off limits? Yeah. You know, tr- is that you trying to, I don't know impersonate or, or jump into another experience but th- this one this book is so personal you know it's, it's clear that it's coming from your heart and your own yeah. your own your yeah. own light uh, you know version of living that yes oh yeah 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 <laughs> please please bring them you're, you're li- three limit three is the limit Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I haven't talked about this too much before, but so I went to a graduate program to get my MFA in Florida. Um, and that's where I decided I wanted to write a collection of these essays. So I was really lucky to have a workshop and, you know, and have people look at my stuff. But after grad school, I really only had like a skeleton of the book. And like I said, I had some stories in here that I ended up taking out. And um, But it went through a lot of drafts. I feel like the most drafting it went through, though, was actually after it got uh, 
uh, you know, that I, that, that I got the book deal. Um, because then you have an editor and they go through it and then they give you notes. And then I was like, okay, I started to get really perfectionist over it. And I would just read the book with, you know, pen and paper. I, I had Carl read it a bunch of times too. And I just wanted to make everything perfect. But, um, as far as process, like I definitely don't write every day. I actually will do whatever it takes to not write every day. Like I'll like clean my sink. Like I'll like go to the gym. Like I'll just do everything to not write. Um, but then I'll have, I have like spurts of not inspiration, but like spurts of where I'll just be working on something like a project. But to me, reading is also working on my craft. Like right now I'm reading, have you ever read Alexander Chi's book, um, How to Write an Autobiographical um, I know of it. I haven't oh, read it. I read it's it's great. really good. I'm yeah. reading it right now. And so like that to me is like working on my craft. Like that's what I'm doing right now for that. Um, and then I'm still involved in some local workshops and, um, you know, and I, I like spit ideas to friends and stuff, but, uh, but it's definitely not every day. Like I'm not like Murakami who or I can like get up at four in the morning and like go for a 12 mile run and then like write for five hours like I don't know it's just not me but um I try to be doing something and like going to see a movie too like that to me is working on my craft because then sometimes I'll see something in the movie and I'm like oh like the, that character had a brother like okay I want to write this story like you know it'll it'll inspire me by doing stuff like that the, um the best advice that uh yeah. one of my Charles Baxter was my creative writing mentor at University of Michigan mm. and um he told me, you know, not just read all the time, yeah. but he said, read the same books. Read your favorite mm. books over and over and over That's again. That's really good advice. And, yeah. uh, and just that, that kind of depth of understanding you get for a book's internal architecture and the way sentences are formed. And, and you know, it, that, that really helped. I'd read my favorite book like yeah. 15 times or, you know, over like five years. Yeah. But, but um, I thought that that, that was <laughs> yeah. a big influence for me. I have a, another piece of advice really quick, too. Like, and that, this kind of just came about in a workshop I was in a few weeks ago. I don't usually talk about what I'm working on currently unless it's in a workshop because I think – when you're writing something, you don't really know what it's about when you first start. Like maybe you have an idea or like an image or something, but you don't really know what it's what's at the heart of it. And I think if you say it out loud, it just kind of it like takes away some of the magic and you have to s still keep it in your head and your heart and like until you get it all out and then you can share it with people, you know. Um, but I don't know. That that's was just great. Something, that's uh, that's great yeah. advice. Yeah. You feel weird when you're Telling at parties, you're saying the same thing over yeah, and over, and, and you're still like, kind that of doesn't like you're like I promise it's better, and yeah. it's like, and then someone's like, well, what is it really about? And you're like, I don't know, yeah, you know, you're so discovering it's like, you don't it. Know yet. It, it, yeah. it kind of blunts that discovery process. Yeah. Um, let's do just a couple more questions before we wrap up. But did you have any? Did you any others? Awesome. Um, anybody else have any others before? I, yeah. No. Um, what? What? Well, I mean, talk about your your path. Um, as a writer, and you're—I mean, you're someone who obviously you've always loved reading and writing, and you—and you end up going to grad school to study. But, um, you know, how has this experience been for you? Yeah. Um. So it's funny because I—I just mentioned Alexander Chi, but in his book he talks about this too. That I mean, he went to the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is like the best in the country, and um. But still, he said that after he graduated, he was a waiter for four years. Mm -hmm. You know, before he even started his novel, that you know he he had a lot of success with that. But same for me. Like I kind of when I was in grad school, I had a professor 
we had this one class and he was like, so if you don't, if you guys like don't make it as a writer, like what other jobs are you interested in? And I remember I got really mad and I was like 22 at the time. So I kind of had a little more like spunk in me, but I remember I got up and I was just like, there is no other option. Like I'm going to make it. And he was like, whoa, okay. Like, I'm just saying like, what else would you want to do for a career? And after grad school, I taught at high school for a while, but I really did not enjoy it. I was teaching like AP English composition. It was just really awful in Florida. So just awful. Um, but then, uh, you know, I decided to come out here again and give it a try and I was waitressing for a while. So that's really common, but, but it was a great job because it gave me my days free to write, um, or to, you know, I could travel still too. I could, it was easy to like give up a shift and just like, you know, go do something. Um, I did a couple of writing conferences, which I strongly recommend those if you're interested, like writers by writers is great. Um, I went to France, like, you know, I just saved up some money and I like went to France for two weeks to write and I got taught by Alan Heathcock and Pam Houston and like all these great people. Um, and some people are like, oh, you're just like paying for your connections, but it's like, well, welcome to Hollywood, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's kind of how it works, but it is also, you get to go it's to a- It's $150 and yeah. <laughs> you get my email address. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm only $25 right now. Um, so, uh, no, but you get to go to beautiful places and you get to, you know, have these experiences. But, so I did a couple of those. Um, and then I just, my biggest thing was I submitted like crazy. Like I had all these friends from grad school that were like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'll submit to like plowshares and like, that's it. And I'm like, I submitted this book to like, maybe a hundred places and literally one of them took it, you know? So that's just how it works. And some people don't even respond to your emails or they, you know, they say no. And like, like Sarah Manguso's agent read my book and I was freaking out for like a month while he had it, but then he decided not to go with it, you know? Mm -hmm. So you just like putting yourself out there. And this to me is the hardest part of all of it. Like I would just rather go write another book than do all of this like press and like, you know, emailing stores and being like, can I read your store? I'm a writer. Like, you know, it's so <laughs> awkward, but it's just putting yourself out there and not being afraid of the rejection part of it because that is part of it. Um, but yeah, I, and I still, I submit essays everywhere and, uh, you know, short fiction pieces and poems and just trying to get my stuff out there so that more people can just read it, you know, and, and connect to it, like I said. Well, I think that's beautifully said. I mean, I, I think no matter what line of work you're in or whatever your creative interest might be, I think having that kind of hustle and, and you know, first of all, obviously you, you, it's important to be talented and devoted to your craft, mm -hmm. which you are, but, but I think also that's not enough, you yeah. know, and you have to... Just um, be willing to put yourself out there, risk failure, risk, you know, be vulnerable, um, risk rejection. Yeah. And, and you, to your credit, have been willing to do that, you know, yeah. and, um, and I think that's something, even for me, that, that I can learn from you mm -hmm. and to, um, you know, to be a little more fearless yeah. about that. Yeah, and to not be shy. I mean, like, I emailed you out of the blue, and I, I'm in my head, I'm like, he's not going to answer, or like, I'm going to get some, like, you know, secretary or something, like some like, thank they were, you, they were sick like, that week. here's a link to my book, you know, and like, that's it. But I got like this heartfelt email back and then we had this meaningful exchange, but, um, but I, I just couldn't be shy about it. You know, I couldn't be like, oh, you know, I can't do this. And so I hope that people feel that way about me too someday that like they can reach out to me and, and talk to me. But, you know, I also looked at my favorite authors and like, I would read their little blurbs and see like, you know, where did they go to conferences? Like, where did they get, um, you know, uh, like grants and stuff like, and I would apply to the same stuff that they did and try to follow their footsteps too. Um, so it is, it's a lot of work. It's like a, 
it's like what Annie Dillard, it's like the writing life. It's like a whole yeah. lifestyle that you build. And it's like, you know, it's not about the success or whatever, but it's about what do I want my life to be like? And, you know, I, and now I teach in a school down the street from here and I love it. And I'm finally teaching creative writing and stuff that I'm interested in. But, but it took a while. You know, I was yeah. working at bars till like 3 a.m. when I first moved here. And, you know, but that was fun in its own way, too, you know, for a while. But <laughs> well, well, that that's really great, and uh, I'm glad Skylight is rec- is recording this for their podcast, yeah. so that uh, more people will be able to hear you preach about that, because it, it is a two pronged, you know, it's devotion mm-hmm. to your craft, and it's yeah. also devotion, you know, you want to share your work once yeah. you put so much heart into creating it. Yeah. Um. So last question, uh, tell me about what you're working on now. Yeah. And I know you just said you, you don't like to talk about that. <laughs> well, but give us give us some. I've already submitted hint. it, so I will okay, talk about okay, it. Okay. You're done. You're, I mean, you're when you're writing it, like yes. you know, or when you yeah. have an idea, like don't tell anybody. But um, this one's already done. You yeah. know? Um. So I just submitted a new manuscript to Red Hen, my publisher, and it's a fictionalization of me as a 14 year old girl. It's just like a year in the life, so it's fiction, but it's very it's very much like um, Joanne Beards and Zanesville where that's very specific to her time I wanted to write something very specific to Florida like prep schools in Florida um, it's kind of like like Brett Easton Ellis meets like uh, Joanne Beard meets like I don't know just a kind of a blend of all that but um, no cocaine though um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, a lot of pot smoking but no cocaine right. Um but yeah, so it's it's definitely and it's very feminine, you know, because it's a girl's point of view, and it's um, it's the year where you start co- becoming interested in boys, and then some girls aren't interested in boys; they're like interested in sports, or some people have to focus on their grades, or like the the year that you try pot for the first time, and and things are just kind of opening up, like your worldview is really opening up. Um, so it's it's really about that. And do you have a title? Uh, for it? Yeah, it's it's called Boca Bitches. <laughs> um, awesome. So yeah, kind of YA in a sense too. Um, but I would like to think it's more literary than that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because when I was growing up, I had my five best friends. We were all named Brittany. I swear, it's like that show <laughs> Recess where they're all Ashley. Um, and uh, so I kind of fictionalized all the Britneys, and it's about that group. But my best friend was named Brittany, and it was the year that we just, like, butted heads with each other. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a weird Heathers in the Everglades. Yes, that too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, well, so very Florida, very one. teenager, yeah. you know. So that's what it's about, yeah. Awesome, awesome, yeah. Brittany. Well, thank you for sharing the stories from your book and and stories about the writing of your book with us. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks to you guys all for coming. Yeah. Uh, Check out the, check out this book. It's really fantastic. Um, I'm going to, if you, if anyone wants to buy a book, I'll be here signing copies too for a little bit or just talking. If you have any other free autographs, yes, free autographs. Get them now while they're (laughs) yeah. buy buy low. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, thank you guys so much for coming. It really means a lot. I hope you enjoyed and got something out of it. So thank you. Thanks Brittany. And thanks to Skylight Books for hosting us. We love this place and all they do. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.